through the snow. Christmas bells are ringing. Joy. Hey everybody, happy holidays and welcome to episode 27 of Thief's Monthly Movie Loot. As the year winds down, I would like to wish all of you a Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays and a better New Year. Certainly better than this one. We've been through a lot. Here in Puerto Rico, we started the year with numerous tremors and earthquakes. And then this pandemic and all the COVID mess, the subsequent adjusting to this new life, and obviously all the elections, chaos and whatnot. So, like I said, I hope the year that comes brings better things for all of us. Now that we're halfway through December, I wanted to talk about the films I've seen so far in the month. I've seen eight films, so let's go. A Christmas or Holiday Film Mr. Mystery Guest. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Unless you want to open a front door for me. But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? The holiday season is officially on. For this category, I obviously went with the best Christmas film, Die Hard. Now, I usually wait until Christmas or Christmas Eve for my annual watch, but I rescheduled it to prepare for a podcast I was guesting on, and I don't regret it at all. For anybody that's been living in a cave, the film follows Detective John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, as he travels to Los Angeles to visit his wife and family, only to find himself in the middle of a terrorist takeover during a Christmas party at his wife's office building. What can I say about this? It is my favorite action film and a great film period. I love everything about it, from McTiernan's tight direction to the snappy script. I love the way they set up things with great payoffs later on. Most of the performances are great, led by Bruce Willis with a perfect everyman attitude and Alan Rickman as one of the most iconic antagonists. I'm preparing a special episode on this, so I won't say much else, but this is a must-see for anybody who enjoys films. A film from the 2010s. I'm so glad you're here. We've got a lot to talk about. So much to celebrate tonight. Each and every one of us is on a journey. And we feel that it's important to be on that journey with the people you love. This beautiful moment is upon us. Tonight is the night our faith is made real. For this category, I went with 2015's The Invitation. The film was recommended by a Twitter friend, Jolene, and seconded by a couple others, so I just went in blind, and what a surprise it was. The film follows Will, played by Logan Marshall Green, who's invited to a dinner party at his ex-wife's house, along with his new girlfriend. At the dinner party, Will, who divorced his wife Eden, played by Tammy Blanchard, after they weren't able to cope with the accidental death of their son, starts feeling more uneasy about the reasons and events at the party. But is it his prejudices and imagination, or is there really something more brewing? 
I thought this film, directed by Karin Kusama, was a masterclass in building tension and dread. The film takes its time to set things up with a lot of skill, with little gimmicks all throughout, while also developing the main characters. The theme of grief and loss and how we handle it is neatly ingrained into the story. The performances are pretty great. Marshall Green is quite solid, with Blanchard also shining as his ex-wife. But the best performance goes to John Carroll Lynch, who plays one of the guests at the party. Seriously, the best thing is to walk into the film knowing as little as it's possible. So I'll stop now. The invitation is currently available on Netflix. So just check it out. A film with the number 12 in its title. It's okay to cry, you know? I know it's okay to cry, okay? If I want to cry, I'll cry. Don't you miss him? I want them dead. You have to deal with it. Go see these guys and tell them how you feel. You know, 90% of people's problems are due to their inability to get over the past. I don't think it's about age. For this category, I saw 2005's 12 and Holding. This is another where I knew literally nothing about it before I hit play, but it came up when I was browsing for films with the number 12 in its title. So I thought, why not? The film follows three friends that have to deal with different issues as they grow up, from parental neglect, sexuality, obesity, death, and guilt. All three are haunted and burdened by different problems, which they try to solve in innocent yet immature ways. This is what I found refreshing about the film, in that there are no hints of unrealistic child wisdom or a magically convenient paternal figure that appears to guide them, but rather an honest portrayal of how a 12-year-old might deal with the situations that are thrown at him or her. The one that takes center stage is the death of Jacob's twin brother, Rudy, both played by Connor Donovan. But equally interesting is Mali's exploration of her sexuality and Leonard's coping with obesity. The girl that plays Mali, Zoe Weisenbaum, was amazing in the role, and there's a supporting performance by a young Jeremy Renner, who plays pretty well of her. All of the parents' portrayal, which includes Linus Roche, Jane Atkinson, Annabella Ciorra, they also feel very truthful and grounded. There is some level of amateurishness in the direction, but not enough to hinder the overall effect. After watching it, I realized that the director, Michael Cuesta, had also directed Kill the Messenger, also with Renner, which is easily on my top 5 of 2014, so take that as a double recommendation. 12 and Holding is available on Hulu, so give it a try. A film with the word winter in its title. Geocaching? It's like a treasure hunt, but you use like GPS and riddles to help find boxes hidden throughout the woods. First one who signs the logbook out wins. Wins what? So the steak knives? $25,000. Bringing all friends together. I don't see any friends here. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. So you're saying every move we make is planned from the beginning. Winter is coming. December 21 to be exact, so I wanted to see a film with the word winter in its title. Once again, I went with another blind walk. This time I went with a film called Dead of Winter from 2014. 
It is important to say that it should not be confused with the 1987 film of the same name starring Mary Steenburgen and Rolly McDowell, which casually I saw last year for this same category. But anyway, this film follows a group of people in a game of geocaching, which is like an advanced treasure hunt with GPS and whatnot, but during the course of the game they realize that someone is out to get them. John, played by Damon Runyon, a reluctant member of the group since he was just hired to drive the players to a remote Colorado mountain, tries to protect them as they fight for survival. Even though the film featured a well-known premise, more or less taken from the short story The Most Dangerous Game, the setup is interesting. Unfortunately, as the film progresses, it devolves more and more due to poor execution, tired contrivances, unnecessary romantic subplots, nonsensical plot twists, and a script that feels more worthy of a Scooby-Doo short. Sure, there are some thrills here and there, and director Robert Rice chose some skill in implementing the nature setting, but it's not enough to take this over the hump. A film set in a mine or cave. Oh, oh and they come down and go down that mine. They gonna shut us down, methane or not. Paycheck's more important than getting shut down. Paycheck ain't gonna mean shit. Die two miles in, Kenny. We got no mine rescue. We got no outside foreman. God's gonna protect us. God will not protect us in hell, John. National Miners Day was on December 6th, so I was looking for a film set on a mine or a cave. Came upon a film called Mine 9 on Netflix, which is my third blind walk in a row. Once again, I knew nothing about this. The film is set in a small coal mining town in the Appalachians and follows a group of miners trapped after a methane explosion. The film really doesn't offer anything new or groundbreaking, but it's elevated by a decent cast and competent direction. Director Eddie Mensor, who also produced, wrote, and edited the film, manages to successfully convey the dread and fear of working on a mine. The cast is mostly unknowns, but I like Terry Serpico, who plays the lead miner. There are a good amount of cliches, but like I said, the cast does a good job. I also liked how the script doesn't try to romanticize the job of miners, but rather shows a lot of respect for it. The characters are not heroes nor villains, but just ordinary, hard-working people trapped in an extraordinary situation. I couldn't find anything about this, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mensore, the director and writer, was a miner himself or had some familiarity with the job. Either way, it's not a bad watch at all. A film from the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die list whose ranking includes the number 12. I feel no remorse. I got a quarter million dollar contract on anyone involved in this case. The cops tried to stop him their way. I'm not your problem. I'm just a businessman. Now they'll have to do it his way. There's only one way to get Frank. <laughs> For this category, I went with 1990's King of New York from Abel Ferrara. The film follows Frank White, played by Christopher Walken, a drug lord that walks out of prison only to try to reclaim his place in New York City by eliminating his rivals. Meanwhile, a team of detectives are trying to take him down. 
This is one of those films that thrive on the Miami Vice-like style of the late 80s. It is full of excess violence and one-liners, along with that particular quote-unquote neon look that we tend to associate with Michael Mann's early work. But as cool as its looks are, what carries the film all through is Walken's performance as White. He walks a fine line between coldness, coolness, and confidence, mixed with a small dose of odd that's a treat to watch. Unfortunately, most of the other things on the film feel kinda half-baked, from White's Robin Hood-like motivations, which are never really explored, to the handling and portrayal of the detectives that are pursuing him. There is a significant amount of time devoted to them, but most of it is poorly executed, leaving them as mere cliches. There's the veteran cop, the volatile one, the married one, the rookie one. This lessens the impact of the climatic encounters between them in the second half. Still, it was worth it only because of Walken, and it was also fun to see a couple of well-known actors in small past roles, like Lawrence Fishburne, Giancarlo Esposito, Steve Buscemi, David Caruso, and Wesley Snipes, among others. King of New York is currently available on Prime Video, so give it a shot. A film with a prominent character with a disability. Ruben, the world does keep moving. It can be a damn cruel place. But those moments of stillness. That place will never abandon you. December 3 was International Day of People with Disability, so I was looking for a film that dealt with the subject. I've been reading and hearing great things about 2019's Sound of Metal, so I went with that. There's a certain line of dialogue in the film about how a deaf person would want to label himself or herself, which on hindsight kind of made me feel bad for including it under this category, but for the sake of discussion, I'll continue. The film follows Ruben Stone, played by Riz Ahmed, the drummer of a heavy metal duo along with singer and girlfriend Lou, played by Olivia Cook. When Ruben starts losing his hearing, his whole world begins to crumble around him as he has to learn to deal with the situation. Like I said, I had read and heard lots of good things about this, but I really wasn't expecting something as pensive, introspective, and affecting as it ended up being. The film really doesn't turn any unexpected corners in terms of its story, but it does manage to convey the sense of desperation and impotence that something like this, the loss of hearing, would entail, particularly to someone that literally lives off it. Director Darius Marder and his crew make the most of the use of sound, or the lack of it, to put us in Ruben's shoes, and it works perfectly, from the deafening sound of the drums and the heavy metal music, to the ringing in Ruben's ears as he starts losing his hearing, or the unintelligible mumbling that he hears as it worsens. There's a unique attention to those details that, according to reviews I've heard from deaf people, is definitely accurate and on point. But aside from those technical qualities, the thing that elevates this beyond to me is Ahmed's excellent performance. He does a great job with his body language, particularly his eyes, to show that desperation and impotence I mentioned above. I've liked everything I've seen from him so far, uh, Nightcrawler, Four Lions, Rogue One. 
but this was on another level of acting. I love how, as he's trying to deal with his condition, the script drew parallels to addiction in general and how it takes controls of our lives, whether it's addiction to drugs or to a certain hobby or a certain someone, and how sometimes it's necessary to let go in order to move on and get better. Definitely one of the best things I've seen recently and a must-watch. If you're interested, Sound of Metal is available on Prime. A Christmas or Holiday Film just beneath your Christmas tree, with all the blinking lights aglow, sits a small reminder of a birthday long ago. So find yourself a comfy spot and listen as I tell the merry Christmas story of the very first Noel. This last film was a sort of a freebie, as my wife put this 2020 animated film titled The Three Wise Men to the Kids last night, so I joined in. The film follows the story of the three wise men setting out to meet and greet baby Jesus, but it is told in such an approachable and funny way for children to follow and understand. This is made more impressive by the fact that the dialogue is all told in rhyme, but everything is still very easy to understand. The animation was also very crisp and superb. I really loved it. If I were to say anything against it, it's that it doesn't really break any ground, but there's no need to. It's also a short film, around half an hour, which makes for an easy watch. So if you have children or a children's soul and enjoy animation, check it out. It's available on Prime. So that's my loot for today. Remember that we're halfway through the months, so there are still seven more films I need to see to complete my monthly challenge and the remaining categories are any film that starts with the letters W, X, Y or Z, a war film, a TV film, the last best picture winner I haven't seen, the last film from any deceased director I like, a film from the United Arab Emirates, a film from Yasuhiro Osu, a film about children. Do you think you have any recommendations for those? Then let me know. As usual, you can find me on Twitter at TiffCGT or on Letterboxd as Tiff12. You can also write to me on the Twitter account for the podcast, which is TMML2021. Anybody can send recommendations of what to watch, or you can just share what you think about the podcast or any other thing. I also want to give a shout out to Amy Smith, who hosts the Film for Thought podcast. Amy was gracious enough to invite me as a guest, along with fellow podcaster John Reynolds, to talk about the best Christmas film ever, Die Hard. The episode is already out, so feel free to look it up and check it out. And once again, thanks to Amy for the invitation. Now it's time for... Useless Movie Trivia A bit of trivia about Will Ferrell's Elf. First, during the scene where Buddy is testing the jack-in-the-box, director John Favreau had a remote control that triggered the toy in order to get Ferrell's startled reactions. Second, the scene where Buddy eats the spaghetti with all the candies and whatnot had to be filmed twice because Ferrell vomited. And third, there were apparently plans for an Elf 2 around 2013. Ferrell was offered $29 million for the role, but he turned it down. So if New Line is looking for a replacement, let it be known that I am available. So that was all for... Useless Movie Trivia. And we're done.
episode 27 of this monthly movie loot is in the bag once again thank you to anybody that is listening from the bottom of my heart i hope you stick with us for 2021 since we're shaking things a bit trying to do something a bit more engaging with the audience so keep your eyes open your ears open and remember to like follow and share the podcast happy holidays hey george george you all right Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals! There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas!